0: Tonight we're in Proverbs chapter 25, if you want to turn there. Now Proverbs 25 is a really cool chapter. We're going to see that Hezekiah uh, and his men, they copied these Proverbs written by Solomon. And so Hezekiah comes about 300 years after uh, Solomon. And so more than likely they found some of these writings and they gathered them together and uh, they made some nice fresh copies. And so... You know, one of the things that I want to encourage you guys in, I'm so blessed that you're here. Uh, I'm so blessed for those of you who are watching, whether it's live stream or maybe an archive study, that that I was thinking how huge this is. Because, for example, in the Proverbs, it talks a lot about us uh, and the words that we use. And so if we could tame our tongue, what a different life that is. If it prevents someone from saying something they should have never said, what a different life that is. If it promotes someone to say something they should say, what a difference that makes in the world that we live in. And so we're going to see how huge it is, what a difference uh, it is. And I pray you guys know this is not in vain, you guys. This is not in vain. Coming, gathering together, studying God's word is life-changing. Okay? So look what we read here in verse 1 of Proverbs 25. It says, These also are Proverbs of Solomon which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. And so this is a cool verse. You know, um, the glory of God to conceal a matter. You guys remember Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29, it says the secret things belong to the Lord, right? And so um, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Interesting verse. I look at it in a few different ways. Um, one of the ways is uh, what Pastor Chuck pretty much, he emphasized, is how God covers our sins. You know, the same word is used in Psalm 32 of God covering, and the Hebrew word is kofar, how he, how he covers our sins. And when I look at that, I think of uh, the glory of God in salvation, No, I mean, I think about someone like, you know, Paul the Apostle, who prior to being a Christian, he was a murderer, and not just a murderer, but a murderer of Christians, and I believe even a murderer of women, and I don't know how it all worked with the children, but even there was something going on there. And so, who who here would forgive a murderer? Who would forgive a murderer of Christians? Who here, think about it, us guys, who here, if you knew someone killed people, would say, here, I want to use you in the ministry. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, there, there's no way, you know. But it's the glory of God to cover our sins. I mean, you know, David, he, not only was he a murderer, um, but he was an adulterer. But it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And so one of the things I think of is salvation. Another thing I think of is creation. You know, I don't know, it's pretty cool how, how it all works, but when you search for things, uh, when you take a microscope and you look at the cells and you look at the DNA, it's almost like this treasure is hidden, like God has hidden it. It's the glory of God to conceal it, but it's the glory of man to, to search it out, to discover it. And then when he does discover it, it's like these treasures underneath, you know? You look at the stars, and, and in one sense, God put them far away, and maybe in one sense, they're kind of, you know, concealed. But then uh, we, we eventually, we work, technology, all that kind of stuff comes into play, and we discover um, those stars are amazing. So it's the glory of God to conceal But it's the glory of man to reveal, to uncover these things. You know, when you look at it, one of the things that I was thinking of is um, just um, not just salvation, not just creation, but then also destination. And by that I mean our life. A lot of times we don't understand it. You know, Joseph went through trials. Joseph got arrested. It didn't make any sense. It was almost like God was hiding things from him. You know, but God had plans for his life. But God was hiding it from him. He couldn't see it, you know. And so some might say, well, shouldn't, you know, God have given Joseph all the details? He gave Joseph glimpses, but it wasn't like concrete. And and so why didn't God just tell Joseph from the very beginning, straight out in plain language, one day you're going to be the second most powerful man in the world, and the reason you're going through these trials is because I will use you to save the people. I, I think part of the reason is because if God had revealed that to him too early, then it would have messed everything up. So, the secret things we want to, all the information now, and we want to know why I'm going through this, and you know, we want to, all the answers and all that type of understanding. But, but it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. And there's a lot of different applications, whether it be you, know, you finding out who committed the crime. I mean, we have our end. And it's just so amazing how God has his, how he can keep a secret. So um, verse 3, it says, As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. And and you think about how high that the heavens are. You guys know, right? We know now how huge the galaxies are and, and the depth of the earth. And the NLT says and uh, so no one really goes knows what's go- going on in the king's mind. Now, remember Hezekiah had his guys copy these proverbs so this the first few uh, verses in, are in reference to kings. And so, you know, you look at that verse again, notice it says, the, the, um, verse 3, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. And that's kind of a hard one. I mean, what do you mean the heart of kings is unsearchable? And and from a human perspective, maybe what he's saying is that you just have no idea what these kings are going through, what these rulers are going through the heavy burden of responsibility that they bear as a king, as a leader. All the thoughts, all the input, all the output, all the decisions, all that's going on. And so there is that aspect to it. And so as a leader, uh, hopefully the citizens would understand and and pray for their leaders. But, But it's also, when I look at this primarily, to me, it has to do with the king of kings. You know, one person said this, the Proverbs is affirming a simple fact that the king's plans and decisions are beyond the comprehension of the people. While the king would make many things clear to the people, there are other things that are above or too deep for them to understand. And and I know this for sure, that this is definitely the way it is with the Lord. His heart as the king of kings is unsearchable. You know, we'll we'll never be able to understand. Verse four it says, "Take away the dross from silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry, and take away the draw the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness." Now you guys have the option. If you want to, you can disconnect the verses. Some people do, and they take verse four as simply saying that. You know, when, when you purify the, the vessel and it becomes usable. You know, that's kind of what some people will see. Verse 4, take away the dross from the silver. You know, the Bible talks about how if we cleanse ourselves, then we become usable in the master's hands. And so there are some who like to isolate that verse and say, hey, if you want to be usable, if you want to be a vessel, if you want to shine like silver and let the Lord pour into you so you can pour into others, then you need to, you know, take away the dross. How do you take away the dross? Turn up the heat. And, and that's something that's very difficult for us. You know, for us, a lot of us here are going through trials. And, you know, I, I know it's so hard, but God's working. You know, James, I mean, Job, I talked about that. He says, I'm going to go through these fires, and but when I come out, I'm going to come out as, as, as pure gold. And so there's something there about that. But I think when you take it in context, the verses need to be connected. You take away the, the dross, and then verse 5, you take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. You know, it's been said, evil harbored is even more unsettling than an evil Exposed. You know, and, you know, when you think about the wicked and you think about these things, I mean, this is a principle that's true nationally. It's true maybe even in a company. It's true even in ministry that it's wise periodically to weed out the wicked and then the different entities will find Stability. You know, when Solomon first became king, that's what he had to do. You guys might remember uh, his dad gave him counsel and, you know, he kind of looked around and saw what was going on and he had to weed out individuals like Joab and Shimei. And then when Adonijah, you know, stepped up and tried to take the, the girl, um, Solomon got rid of him. And then eventually even Abiathar, one of the priests, had to be exiled. And, and as we go through life, A lot of times, you know, there are things that need to be weeded out, sometimes even relationships, sometimes even friendships, so that the throne of your heart would be established. And so may God give us wisdom. I I pray he would surround you with with people who give you good counsel. I pray that just in case there's anyone out there, you know, for us as Christians, I try not to tell people, hey, you know, don't have any non-believing friends because... You know, we have to be a light to people, definitely. And so we don't have that extreme. But there is another extreme where there's just bad influences. And it could be in many different forms. And so what the Lord says is you take away that draws, You you take away that wicked, uh, the wicked influences from your life. Take it out. And you watch how the throne is established. Verse six, it says, do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king and do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. And so this is a principle that we see oftentimes in the Bible. Um, Basically, you know, don't exalt yourself because if you do, then you're going to be humbled. Um, But if you humble yourself, then we're going to be exalted by God. And You know, it's kind of cool because some people will put themselves in that spot, you know, that top spot. They kind of put themselves, they push there, they jockey for position, you know. And sometimes it works, whether it be at, at your job or whatever, even in the ministry sometimes. But man, if you do it that way, how do you know it was really what the Lord wanted? It's just so cool when you just come in and you're you're humble and you're willing to sit in the back and just do the menial tasks, and then God raises you up. You know, that whole principle, we see it frequently in the scriptures. I wanted you to turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 14. And Jesus says kind of the same thing. In Luke chapter 14, notice what it says in verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited, when he noted they chose the best places, saying to them, "When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him." And he invited you and sit come and say to you, Give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place." But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. And here's the principle we see so frequently throughout the scriptures. For whoever exalts himself will be humble and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, a scenario like that. You go to a dinner or whatever. You go to a banquet and uh, you maybe you sit in the wrong place. And they tell you, oh, I'm sorry, this table is reserved. And, you know, you got to go to the back. You know, God is just saying that, that principle that you see maybe in a banquet or a dinner or that type of thing, let it be in your heart. What does the Bible say in Psalm 75, 6 and 7? It says, exaltation, does it come from the east or the west or the south? It comes from the north. It comes from the Lord. And when God raises you up, ain't nobody going to be able to stop it. And so um, we see that principle taught by Jesus and Solomon here uh, mentions it as well. And so God help us to, to humble ourselves that we might be usable in his hands. Uh, back in Proverbs 25 in, in verse eight, it says, do not go hastily to court For what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor, and do not disclose your case with your neighbor, and do not disclose a secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame, and your reputation be ruined. And so more than likely, this verse starts at the end of verse 7. You know, things that you see, um, if you think you've seen something, don't go hastily to court. Uh, you might be proven shamefully and even expensively wrong. We're living in a world where right away people want to sue. There's a we're living in a nation of litigation, right? I think in many ways that has ruined our nation. Man, we're suing people left and right, you know. And so here the Lord is saying, don't do that quickly. Uh, you whatever the case may be, be really careful. As a matter of fact, he says, debate your case with your neighbor. He says there in verse nine. In other words, you know, first talk it over with them. Don't immediately resort to court. And and you know, he also says, Don't just go to the phone either. You know, don't start talking, you know, behind someone's back. Don't go to the phone, go to the throne. Because oftentimes when God shows us something personally, you know, he wants us to, to kind of deal with it privately. One person said this, to run to the law or to the neighbors is usually to run away from the duty of personal relationship. And so I I don't know if that will ever make a difference in your life. You know, one day God says, hey, I don't want you to get the, the judges involved or the courts involved or the brothers involved or the neighbors involved. I just want you to go to that person. That's exactly what Jesus talked about. Watch, if you turn to Matthew chapter 18, It doesn't have to to be a legal matter. It doesn't have to be a big old thing. Maybe it's more effective if it's something that you can take care of. Look what it says in Matthew 18 and verse 15. It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and sue him. No, I'm just joking. It doesn't say that. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained You know, what an awesome thing that is. You you don't have to go tell them and, oh, it's a prayer request. No, it's not. It's you not taking your responsibility to go to that individual and humbly, graciously work things out. He says, if your brother sins against you, it's not even anything that, that you did. It's something that they did you go to them and, and hopefully you can talk it out it, it just think about it if you have if you do then you've gained your brother back you've won them back but but if he will not hear take with you two or more by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established and so if that doesn't work out then what you can do is you can get a friend and go with you and then that friend hopefully can be neutral hopefully that friend can be fair Maybe you're the one that's wrong, and so it's kind of cool when you get someone involved like that, and hopefully that will win the whole thing back to where it belongs, but but then it says in verse 16, if he will not hear, take with you one or two witnesses, at the by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established, and if he refuses to hear them, then you tell it to the church. So... We believe that if there's a situation that happens and it's heavy like this and you try individually, it doesn't work. You bring a friend, a mature Christian along that's neutral and that still doesn't work. Then you tell it to the church. And we don't mean publicly. We don't mean announcing it from the pulpit. We mean then you get a pastor involved. It's then you get a pastor involved. A lot of people right away, the first step is get a pastor involved. And the Lord says, well, you know what, try it this way because this is biblical. And if then they don't want to listen to the church, then at some times there are decisions that that need to be made as a church. And so, you know, uh, back in in Proverbs, um, you know, we're trying to win relationships here. We're trying to, to search out matters that will just bless our lives. We're trying to clean house and weed out the wickedness so that we can be usable in God's hands, and we can have this throne that's that's established. Whether it be your company or your family or or the ministry, I mean, these are decisions that that need to be made. You know, uh, we see next in, in verse eleven. It says, "A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver." And I and I've always loved this verse. Um, Attractive craftsmanship. A word fitly spoken, and like I was telling you guys, man, if, if this proverb can uh, can can help anyone prohibit them from saying they shouldn't say, or promote them to say something they should say, that will build someone up and make a difference in their life. I tell you what, it is worth it, because a lot of times that's where we get in trouble: is we say things we shouldn't say, or we don't say what we should, and so. Right here, he says, a word fitly spoken. What does it mean, a word fitly spoken? Well, if you look at the different translations, it's interesting the way they see it. If you have an NLT, it says, timely advice is lovely, like golden apples in a silver basket. And so, you know, you give that counsel to someone, and the timing is just right. What a blessing that is. If you have an NIV, it says this, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. And so the first has to do with counsel that you give at just the right time. And a lot of us are on the phone. A lot of us are talking to people and we're, we're, you know, we're, we're actually praying with them and we're, we're texting things to them. If you give them good advice, timely counsel, it's a, it's a blessing. It's, it's life-changing to have a friend like that. But then right here, he talks about a ruling that's rightly given. And so there are those in positions that have to make decisions. And so that's one way of looking at what exactly it means, to a word fitly spoken. Timely advice, a ruling rightly given, or one translation says it this way, the New English translation says, like apples of gold and settings of silver, so is a word skillfully spoken a word skillfully spoken and what's that that's a word like uh, with tact that's a word that's spoken with with finesse with love that's what the bible says right uh, speak the truth in love you know and, and when you do it you guys know timing is, is so important a tone of voice is so important I mean, it could be, you know, your body language. There's a lot of different things that we use as far as communication goes. And so we're not here just trying to vent our feelings. We're not here to vomit on people. We're not here to just say, hey, well, this is the way it is. No, we're here to love people. We're here to win people to Christ, to win people to the Lord, you know, to strengthen them in their relationship. And this little tongue right here, it is an amazing tool that, uh, that, that God can use, but that the devil can use too. Because if we say the wrong thing and we start, especially you know, you start doing that to your kids over and over and over again, you're gonna hurt them so bad. You know, so we're gonna talk more about that. But you know, Proverbs fifteen twenty three it says, "A word spoken in due season, how good it is." And Isaiah fifty in verse four is a really cool verse. It says, "The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned." that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me, I love this, morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. And so Henry was even talking earlier today about reading our Bible and our devotions and going through the word. And so God wakes us up in the morning, we hear from him, and then we have the tongue that knows what to say, the tongue of the learned, and now we can speak that word To someone out there who is weary. And so you guys, it's really cool when you see how this works. Uh, It probably related to verse 12. Notice what it says in verse 12. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. I don't know about these wise rebuker people. Man, a wise rebuker. Um, And I think it probably goes hand in hand with what we just said. You know, there are times that we have to, you know, bring people uh, to an awareness. Maybe there's a blind spot in their life. There are times that the NLT uses the word valid criticism. You know, and it's kind of cool when you're a wise rebuker. Of course, we need to be a wise receiver as well. But when the Lord begins to use people like that to help us, it's a common principle in the Proverbs. And I believe that it's one of the keys of wisdom in life. You know, uh, sometimes you see something, and not that we're the standard, you know, because we're not. We have to really make sure that we're careful in judging people. But um, sometimes you see something that, you know, that if you would be able to say it the right way, you could really help someone. You could really make a difference, and so right here, when we're reading about the, the wise rebuker, to us, to me, I'm like, Lord, help me to have that kind of heart. You know, a, a wise rebuker, this is, again, an earring of gold, an ornament of fine gold, is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. You know, every once in a while, man, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I guess, humble myself, and, you know, someone will point out something that I did wrong, and I, I just say, and I love it. Every once in a while I get victory, and it just kind of comes out. I'm all, man, you're right. You know, you're right. Have you ever, ever said that to someone <laughs> when they pointed out something you did wrong? And, you know, it's just so cool. As the Lord begins to wear you down, he begins to just give you that heart that's open to correction, you know. Proverbs fifteen thirty one it says, The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. And so you guys, let's get good at this. Let's get good at uh, rebuking with love and as God would lead and prayerfully by the Holy Spirit. But let's also get good at, at receiving those rebukes. Uh, what What's the difference, if you think about it, between Saul and David? Saul and David. Um, some will say that David's sins were even worse than Saul's sins. And I don't know exactly how that works. I think that we've we got to be careful when we start comparing like that. But Saul, uh, he didn't listen to the rebukes. Saul, he didn't repent. You know, when people pointed out things, Samuel pointed out things. Saul never really got right. Even David was pointing out things. Saul, you know, gave lip service, but he never really listened to those rebukes. But, but you know, I was thinking about this whole situation right here. You guys remember when David fell into sin, uh, it took a while, but eventually... Nathan came to him. It was in the right time, and remember it was the parable, huh? That he shared about the sheep and all that. And it was just it was wise. And David, David listened. And David recovered. And David today is known as a man after God's own heart because he listened to the rebuke. You know, I was thinking even of the Pharisees and how Jesus, you know, rebuked them in Matthew chapter 23 and he rebuked them, actually, many times, you know, in the, in the Gospels, but they just would not listen to the Lord. Now, of course, the Lord is a wise rebuker, right? I mean, he's God. If only they would have listened, you know, they would have been saved. And so, again, these things, I think, are all connected. Even verse 13 might be connected. Look what it says. It says, like the coldest snow in time of harvest... Is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Now, if I could just say this to you guys, and I know you, I don't know if you're going to believe me or not, but I'm going to tell you, I believe you're all messengers. I believe that. I honestly do. God has put you in different mission fields people that you work with, people that you live with, people that you go to school with. You have this sphere of influence, people you're going to run into, a jack-in-the-box or wherever it might be. I believe with all my heart that you're all messengers. And so the key for us is to be a faithful messenger because what that'll do is that'll bless the Lord. You know, it's interesting what we read right here. It's like the coldest snow in time of harvest. And so imagine it's summer, it's harvest, the day is scorching hot. I read about one place, uh, a desert in Iran where the temperatures reach over 150 degrees. And so imagine you're there, okay? And then imagine you're sweating, you're scorching, and then it begins to snow. What a blessing. How refreshing would be when that takes place. And what we find is that's how it is with the Lord, you guys. You know, the Lord, he loves you. Jesus Christ died for you, man, and he's the messenger. And he comes and he gives that salvation message to us. And it's so cool that when we would just be obedient to just share the things that he wants us to share. You know, what we find here is that even God is blessed with a faithful messenger. You know, what did you say? What did you tell them when I told you to speak? Did you give them my word? But Lord, they didn't want to hear it. They were more interested in other things. And a lot of times that's the way it is, right? Um, they won't like me if I become, you know, biblical and sharing those things. And God is just saying, listen, I just want you to be faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now we have a, a contrast, if you would. Look at verse 6 of Proverbs 26. It says, he who sends a message by the hands of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. And so it's just cool to know that, you know, you send someone with a message and they relate it just as you would have liked. Have you guys ever done that where someone's text messaging for you? I don't know if you guys have ever done that. Me and my wife have done that. And so I'm driving and maybe she's text messaging or vice versa. And you want to make sure they said it just the right way. You know, because if not, you know, someone might misinterpret it or whatever. And you have something in your heart. And that's kind of the way it is with the Lord. I want to put something in your mouth. And all I'm asking is that you share it with them. Because I'm telling you guys, and I'm not exaggerating. It's life-changing. It really is. This tongue, this tongue, it, it can be a weapon of righteousness. It really can. It can be a tool to build people up. And so, you know, let's use it for the glory of God. Verse 14, it says, whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. And so, um, you know, you guys can see that you're used you, you know, you need the rain and, you know, the clouds are coming in and the wind's blowing them in and you get all so excited. Um, but then, Nothing happens. You don't get the water that you need. And so the Lord is saying, if you, if you boast of giving, if you falsely boast of giving, and it, it could be on either end, whether it's you uh, boasting about something you're going to give or you boasting about something that you said supposedly you, you gave in the past. But it's not true. God is saying that's like, man, empty clouds. Man, you thought you had something and unfortunately it never was delivered. No, I know for us as Christians, uh, we don't boast anyways. You know, Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But, you know, what we find right here is God is just saying, we have to make sure that we follow through with those things. Verse 15, it says, by long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded, and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. And so one translation puts it this way, patience can persuade a prince and soft speech can break bones, and so what it is is you're trying here to be an influence for good. You're not manipulating people, but you love your spouse, or you love your parents, or you love your siblings, or your friends, or your children. Um, in this case, even a prince. He's saying even even if it's a king or a ruler, you can actually help them. Make the right decisions, go in the right direction through patience and gentleness. Because at the end of the day, isn't that what we want? I know for us as Christians, I just want to please the Lord and I just want to help people. I really do. Well, how, how can you do it? This right here is kind of cool. Patience and gentleness. You know, a lot of times that's what convinces both princes and paupers and kings and kids, you know, don't allow the enemy to cause you to be hasty and blow your witness. You know, if you're not patient, then, you know, you're going to blow your witness, and then what ends up happening is you can't persuade them. And, and at the same time, the, the gentle tongue right here is pretty interesting breaking a bone, the idea of breaking a bone uses the hardest and most firm part of the body in order to contrast to the softness of the tongue. Both are figurative, forming a comparison that a gentle speech can break down even the stiffest opposition. And so, you know, guys, we're learning how to influence. We're learning how to make a difference. You know, it's important for us to have that heart Later on in this proverb, we're going to talk about the importance of self-control. And remember, when we're talking about wisdom, we're talking about the skills of living life. We're not going to be able to do any of this without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's important, you guys, that we are yielded to him 100%. Verse 16, it says, Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and... Vomit. Do you like honey? Don't eat too much or it'll make you sick, is basically what they're saying. And so, you know, it's kind of funny. We'll talk more about honey later, but have you guys ever done that? Have you guys ever eaten too much and then threw it all up? I think I've told you guys this story, huh? Craig had like 16 tacos one time, but he held it in. It was really cool. (laughs) But I'm just joking. Anyways, I remember one time, and I think I've told you guys, I had, you know, the big bags of Doritos, the really big ones? I ate the whole thing. I ate the whole thing. And just like the Bible says, I vomited it out. And so it could be an occasional problem for some, or it can also be a major issue. Uh, One of the seven deadly sins is gluttony, huh? You know, sometimes uh, we uh, we can eat too much and we have a hard time knowing when enough is enough. And there's more to it, I, I believe, than this. You know, a parable of the fatal difference between healthy appetite and greed. Since the Garden of Eden, Madden has wanted the last ounce out of life as though beyond God's enough lay ecstasy, not nausea. You know, if God says enough, We shouldn't go beyond that. Wouldn't it be a different world if we ate only as much as we needed? And that goes for honey. It goes for food. It goes for everything. You know, we're going to see later there's a possible connection in verse 27. But what is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19? It says, and my God shall supply all your needs, not your grades." Verse 17, it says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. I don't know about this verse. One translation says, don't visit your neighbors too often, or you'll wear out your welcome. And, and so, I don't know, I just got to tell you guys, from my personal experience, I, I kind of feel... That way about going to other people's houses, I feel like, oh, I don't want to be a burden to them. I don't want to bother them too much, you know. But I don't feel that way about people coming over our house. You know, it would be really hard uh, for our friends to wear out their welcome. It really is. And so, God will, God will give you wisdom. Uh, I know that uh, hospitality is huge, and I know for a lot of you here, you kind of feel the same way that. Your doors are always open because your heart is open. And so I just think we got to be really careful with these things. And what ends up happening at the end of the day is you're just sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He will show you, you know, when to go and when not to go and things like this. Because I'll be honest with you, having people over our house, I consider it a privilege. I'm like, man, you came to my house What a blessing. Man, I feel honored that you're here. You know, it's kind of cool when they come over and they start opening up your refrigerator and stuff, you know. Then you know your friends. (laughs) So um, God will give you wisdom, I believe, if you're crossing lines. Uh, Verse 18 says, A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. And, you know, we've learned over the years and, and actually through the Proverbs that those words that we speak that we shouldn't can oftentimes be deadly weapons. That, that comment can be violent. And so we're learning, I believe and I hope and I pray that we're learning to tame your tongue, man. It's so important. It can be lies in a casual conversation, but really the context speaks of lies in a formal court. Other translations actually speak of testifying. Verse 19 says, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. And this is kind of contrasted to verse 13. We talked about the faithful man. Have you guys ever been in a situation where you had to eat and your tooth was all messed up? Maybe a bad cavity of some sort, ready for a root canal. Imagine trying to eat like that. Or your, your foot's at a joint, but you're forced to walk on it. And that's what the Lord is saying. When you have confidence in an unfaithful person, um, that's what it's like. And so uh, I remember um, one time we had an individual, and this is just a little story, It's just a little story, who was supposed to bring ice for one of the major events that we had here at the church. They don't come to the church anymore, so don't try to figure out who it is. But, you know, um That was their their assignment. Hey, is there anything I can do? And, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, maybe you can bring some ice for us. And, you know, they're supposed to get here at a certain time, I think like two hours before the event, and they, you know, they didn't show up on time. And when they did, just prior to the event, they did not have the ice. And so, you know, you kind of make a mental note. um, That person (laughs) probably can't be relied on. But when you have those people that, you know, they say they're they're going to come, they're going to follow through, they're going to do things, it, it really is a cool thing to have. Uh, next, in, in verse 20, it says, like one who takes away a garment in cold weather, and like vinegar on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. And so, again, weird, huh, how someone would take away their jacket when it's cold outside, or or you know, putting vinegar on soda, you know, you're looking forward to a carbonated drink, but it ends up being flat, and you needed that carbonation to help your stomach that's upset. And basically, what he's saying right here is neither are helpful or good. Uh, back in those days, they didn't have Coca-Cola. Uh, this is most likely a reference to a sodium carbonate that they would uh, get from Egypt that was natural, but. When you combined it uh, with vinegar, it neutralized everything. And so, again, all they're saying is that um, it's, it's not good, it's not helpful to sing songs. You're like all celebrating the inappropriate songs to a heavy heart. You know, there are songs that if someone's got a heavy heart that would be appropriate, I think, that would be helpful. But, you know, the Lord gives us wisdom even in those things how we need to be sensitive. Verse 21, it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. And so, you know, Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, that if you have an enemy, you know, you got to love them, man. It's so important for us as Christians to understand that we don't just love those who love us, we are called to love our enemies, to pray for them, you know? And and what we find right here is if we do that, he says, then you will heap coals of fire on their head. Now some people, they get that picture and they're like, I like that. (laughs) You know, my enemy, I want to get him. you know? I want to throw some... Fire on their head. And you know, you, when you read the parallel passage in the book of Romans, it seems to say that. But, but, but really, what he's saying right here is very fascinating. Let me read to you what it says in the amplified notes. It says, This is not to be understood as a revengeful act intended to embarrass its victim, but just the opposite. The picture is that of the high priest who, on the day of atonement, took, took his censer and filled it with coals of fire from off the altar of burnt offering, and then put incense on the coals to create a pleasing, sweet-smelling fragrance. The cloud or smoke of the incense covered the mercy seat and was acceptable to God for atonement. And, And so what's he saying there? He's basically saying that if you love them, you feed them when they're hungry, if you give them drink when they're thirsty, you're actually maybe going to be used by God to bring them to that place of salvation. Think about that. You know, and that's why you guys—we're different. We're different. I mean, I don't know if you have any enemies. I don't know if you know. There's someone that you're thinking uh, they—they just—they are against me, dead set against me. I—I uh, I know we all need wisdom and how that all works out in our life in a practical sense. It doesn't mean you're going to be best buddies and spend you know, every day with them, but you have to get with God, and you have to ask him, Lord, how do you want me to love them? I believe it begins with prayer, but then the Lord will show you the next step. Verse 23, it says, The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue an angry countenance. And so, um, you know, we know that as the wind brings the rain, uh, in Israel it's interesting, uh, the geography was different. So more than likely this is a saying that originated somewhere else. But but the, the southern winds of Satan, so to speak, through slander and ungodly gossip, they bring forth an aching heart that eventually manifests itself in an angry face. And that's why, you know, I'll be honest with you guys, I've told you many times, man, I I just hate gossip. I hate talking about people behind their back. I hate saying anything negative about anyone when they're not there. Because I know one day the Bible says that we will give an account for every idle word that we speak. And, you know, somehow, someway, you start talking bad about people, maybe they won't hear it, but you do. And how can you be the same around them when you've been talking bad about them? The enemy has it now, I believe, is ammunition. And so we see it frequently, you guys, in the Proverbs, You know, not to gossip, not to slander, not to to backbite. In verse 24, it says, It is better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. And we've seen this a few times, also in the Proverbs. Eventually, uh, he says it's better just to be living in the wilderness, on the housetop. Here we have that 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 aspect, right? And so I could, you know, just try to soften this thing by saying, "Hey, you know, um, husbands, it's your fault," but it's not always a husband's fault. I mean, I think that there's, you know, sometimes the the, the woman needs a word. If you're a contentious wife, if you're a contentious woman, then I pray that this Proverbs would speak volumes to you, that you would not always be looking for a fight, that you would not always be looking for something to stir up trouble in the home, because there are some women like that. They're just contentious. And so there is a word uh, to the women, but there's also a word, of course, to the men, because a lot of times women are reactors, and the reason that they're... The way they are is because the husbands have neglected them. And not only that, I think part of the reason Solomon says this is because he's telling these young guys who are single, be careful. Be careful who you marry. Uh, Let me read what one guy said. Bridges said this, It cannot be but a miserable thing to behold, that yet they are of necessity compelled to live together, which yet cannot be quiet together. But many bring this bitter trouble on themselves. They never seek God's help in their momentous choice. The wife is not asked for from the Lord, and so does not come from him, and so does not bring any of his favors with her. And so Solomon, I don't know about this guy, 300 wives, 700 concubines. I mean, uh, he definitely is an interesting figure, but he does give us advice. And I think it's so cool when things are are sweet at home, when there's harmony, when there's love, when there's peace. You know, this is a sanctuary here at the church. It's supposed to be a safe place, and so is your home. Let it be that. Verse 25 says, "As Cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. And um, cold water to a weary soul. I'll bet you almost anything that everybody in here is weary. Huh? The world that we're living in right now, the things that we're experiencing. Um, I mean, Lord, I could use some good news. huh? And that's kind of cool what we read right here. Um, the good news, however, it comes from a far country. Uh, I'll share you guys something that's kind of cool today. We were able to get some messages, you know, audio messages from Catherine, and she's the one who oversees the orphanage ministry in Cambodia. And so she was sharing some good news, and it was just an absolute blessing to hear that. You know, but ultimately, I think when I read this right here, of course, it's, you know, in reference to that. Some say, Maybe even in reference to your home that's far away. and Maybe you're out there, you know, distant. Um, To me, I think primarily of the gospel. I want you to turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 11. And notice what we read in verse 9. It says, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise, speaking of Abraham, As in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And so Abraham, he he didn't own any property except for the grave where his wife and I think there were five others that were buried. Why? Uh, A lot of it has to do with he he, he waited for a greater greater possession, a greater country. And, And look, if you would, at verse 13 of the same chapter. Notice what it says. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. I mean, you know, you're on earth, this is not our home, you know, and you just, man, you know that I want a homeland. And so it says in verse 15, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would not have had opportunity to return, but now they would have had opportunity to return but now the desire of better, here it is, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And when, I, when I read the proverb, I thought of this right here. Good news from a far country ultimately speaks of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ from that country, from that home that we call heaven, from the Lord himself. You know, and that right there is is water to a weary soul. I mean, you guys, um, aren't you blessed in what Jesus has done? Aren't you blessed that he bore our sins? Aren't you blessed that he suffered our punishment? Aren't you blessed that all you had to do was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and all your sins were washed away? I mean, that that news that comes from that heavenly country, that good news, it really is water to a weary soul. I don't know what your life is going to be like. I don't know what my life is going to be like. I know we're going to get hit with some heavy, heavy, heavy trials. But it's so cool to know that the good news to know is that this is not our home. You know, we have that home in heaven, and one day we'll be there. That's the good news. Verse 26 of Proverbs 25, it says, A righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. And so if the godly give in to the wicked, it's like polluting a fountain or muddying a spring, and that's why we have to watch or witness and be so careful. Verse 27 says, It is not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. And I think we all know that, you know, as Christians who've been taught, Lord, we don't want to touch the glory. Never. You know, I was even talking to my friends the other day and I was just talking about even salvation. And I said, you know, I believe that we have to choose. I really believe that. But I also believe that salvation is of the Lord. I won't even touch the glory for the fact that That I made somewhere in there a mysterious choice to receive Jesus. No, he gets all the glory. And if there's anything ever good, ever, from us and through us and in us, it's only Jesus, right? And so we don't seek our own glory. And then the last verse right here, it says in verse 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without." NLT puts it this way, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Now, self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit according to Galatians 5 verse 23. And what's it like if your walls are broken down? What's it like if your doors don't close, your windows don't shut, you're, you're vulnerable? There's no protection there. And this is a big one. I don't know how you guys are doing in this, but to have self-control, a lot of it, even like we're talking about earlier, not saying the wrong things, taming our tongue, being that mature Christian, is such a huge thing for us. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. And that's why I'm telling you, day by day, moment by moment, we have to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I believe with all my heart. It's kind of interesting how the Bible talks about being filled with the Word and be filled with the Spirit, and I think they go hand in hand. You know, why is it that that person is out of control? Why is it that person is so mean? Why? Because they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. They have no self control. You know, I was thinking about that line in the uh, movie Cinderella, and I remember—I don't know if you guys remember the scene. It was the—it's the movie one, the most recent one where she's just upset with what's going on in, in home, and, and she just takes off on her horse, and she runs into the prince, and they're there talking. And if you guys might remember, the, um, she asks the prince, he says, well, how do they treat you at the palace? And the prince said, better than I deserve. And then he asked her, well, how do they treat you at your house? You remember what she said? She said, as, as good as they can. That, that's, that's about as good as they can. Why? Because they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And for us, you know, when there's the power of the Holy Spirit, there is like omnipotence. There is like power. And God can give us self-control. Every thought, every word, every action, every deed, it all gets yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why, you know, number one, first step, you got to get saved. You got to make sure you know the Lord. But then, secondly, every step for the rest of your life, I pray, we would be like Ephesians five eighteen says, um, under the influence of the Holy Spirit.